0: So just to kind of uh, remind us again on, on these uh, spiritual practices or essentials, uh, uh, Father Rohiser calls them non-negotiable. <laughs> that these are just things that we need to practice and develop and uh, developing that habit of prayer. And I would say more so with the contemplative prayer. And if you can do it uh, first thing in the morning, it's all the better. It just sets the tone for the day. And you'll find yourself, instead of reacting uh, to these little things that happen throughout the day where someone's taking too much time in a line or someone says something derogatory, you'll find yourself just taking a breath and responding instead of reacting. And, and quite often, the, my reactions at least are not usually too good. But if I can respond, it's a more loving and more compassionate. And then last week, we talked about doing justice. Uh, when we realize we're loved, and, and take that one verse that everyone always talks about, for God loved the world then we realize how much oppression and, and pain and suffering there is in the world, and we start taking steps to help alleviate that, that pain and suffering in the world. And it can be overwhelming because there's so much to do, but, but find something that you feel led to do, you're passionate about, whatever that work may be. And for those of you who are our parents, uh, I remember when we were raising our kids, I always felt a little guilty that we weren't doing more in the church and more in the community. If you raise your children to love God's creation and love humanity, you're doing the work of justice. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I think that's the groundwork. We're starting with people, one-on-one, letting them know that they are valued in in all of creation. That's really important, very, very important work. And today, um, Roheiser calls this pillar probably the most neglected one, and that is having a mellowness of heart or a, a humble heart, and that we can do the right thing but have the completely wrong energy while we're doing it. And so, having mellowness of heart here. And so, I'll read from the Gospel of Luke here, uh, the 18th chapter. And as I read, just kind of think about maybe see yourself in each of these roles with each of the people that are mentioned in this story. So, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they regarded others with contempt. He's telling the story to all the people who might think, I know just a little bit more than my neighbor. I know a little bit more than that person. And if they would just listen to me, things would be all right. And they have contempt for other people. So two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee standing by himself was praying Thus, God, and I could just see him with his hands reached out and feeling very good. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I am not like thieves and rogues and adulterers or even like this tax collector. And he points to this tax collector in the room. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven but was beating his breast and saying, God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is uh, the word of God for each and every one of us here today. Amen. So as, as we take some time just for private prayer and reflection, Uh, How humble are you? How humble are you? How humble is your heart? How mellow is your heart? Uh, How often during the day do you find yourself judging someone or thinking less than them? And maybe that same prayer, thank God I'm not like them. I know I have a few problems here and there, but now those guys, (laughs) they're really bad off. (laughs) So how mellow is your heart? Let's just take a few moments to pray and to reflect on that. Let us pray. One of the things I uh, appreciate about prayer and and meditation is we start examining our lives and our events, and we can have all these uh, major events in our life. And as we look at that event at different times in our lives, we start to see that event differently. Maybe you start to go a little bit deeper into the event and and gain a, a greater understanding for what actually happened there. And uh, I mention that because I, I know I've, I've been examining this event for probably 15, 16 years in my life. But my last year, I'm going to, to Meeker next week. And um, it took me quite a while to go back to Meeker. I could even go into the town because it wasn't easy. Uh, we didn't leave under the best of circumstances. And my last year of teaching in Meeker, though, we had in our school district what they call a reduction in force. A riff was the term for it, a riff. And uh, so our district, we needed to reduce the amount of teachers. They had to cut back on the budget because they were expecting a smaller enrollment. So they had to let three teachers go in order to to balance the budget for the next year. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who was well-connected with the board. I remember we were down at the park. and, And this woman said, well, the board is going to use this time as an opportunity. It was an opportunity. An opportunity to get rid of all the dead wood. And I thought, that's a good idea. Get rid of the teachers who aren't productive, the teachers who aren't doing their job. Get rid of the dead wood, you know. And it's a reduction in force. And so all the teachers, we were kind of, to say the least, we were very uncomfortable. Who's going to get cut and all these different things. And remember, the very first, they didn't do it all at once. They just let one teacher go every two or three weeks. They just kind of know why. They just strung it out. So everyone was just, you know abilities, to say the least. And the first teacher, though, that they let go, uh, she was in the middle school, and she had really poor classroom management skills, and, and the kids were just wandering around in the building. She couldn't keep her kids in the room, much less have them <laughs> listening or participating in anything. She was, they were wandering all over the building. Uh, she had kind of made some uh, poor decisions in her private life, and, and you know how it is in a small town. She, she had this affair, and it was all over town, and she was the first one to go. And we all kind of nodded our head. We said, yeah, I knew that. I knew she was going to get it. I knew she was going to get it. They're, they're letting go of the, the dead wood. And there was that separation and that, and that division there. And then they waited two or three weeks. And then the, le- the next teacher they let go was this lady who was very close to retirement. She could actually retire and be very comfortable. She, was just, she didn't know if she was going to retire that year or the next year. And she didn't get along with any of the kids. She didn't get along with the administration. She was just a pain. And she was going to retire anyway. And so they let her go. I said, well, I, I, I can agree with that decision. That was a good idea. And so there was one more teacher left that they had to or or let go and I had my ideas about who it was going to be but I knew they were setting all the dead wood was all being set adrift so there's just one more to go and we were all discussing who's it going to be one morning I went into school and my principal was waiting for me at my door and he informed me that I was the next one to go (laughs) being set adrift and I was so angry so mad. And he said, do you need to take the day off? And I said, no, I think I'm going to be okay. But I was just fuming all day long. But I also remember after school, I went down to our our public nurse and had my blood pressure checked. (laughs) And it was lower than it had ever been. (laughs) So I was getting some mixed signals here. (laughs) It was lower than it had ever been. But when I think about about how angry I was and how humiliated, what I was really humiliated about is I was being lumped in with all the other dead wood. That's what really upset me. Not leaving the job that I didn't want in the first place, but being associated with all the dead wood. And I think about that. I thought I was above or better Than they were. I thought I had a little more on the ball. I thought I was a little bit more present in the community. And I was separating myself from those other two teachers. And I didn't have the the compassion, the empathy for them. Well, one of the pillars of our spiritual life is having a mellow heart or a, a humble heart. The understanding that we have more in common than not with other people. And that all of us, need mercy. We all need grace. And when we develop that, that humble heart, when someone has misfortune or difficulties or they're struggling in life, we have compassion and empathy for them instead of judgment or condemnation. Where we can say, just like the Pharisees, thank you God that I am not like them. For they had it coming. And we lack that humility or that mellowness of heart. Well, how mellow are our hearts? How mellow are our hearts? The Pharisee in the story that we read, he's an outstanding person. I mean, he is an outstanding person. He fasts twice a week. He goes to church. He tithes a tenth of his income. Uh, When I imagine this uh, Pharisee, he is a community leader. We need lots and lots of Pharisees in our community. He gets things done. He's he's reliable. He's responsible. He's serving on all the boards in town. He gets things done. And you can count on him. But when you hear this story, we all know that there's something very, very wrong with the Pharisee. Even though he's doing all these good things, something's not right. He has a major spiritual defect. And he's completely unaware of it. He trusts in himself and he regards others with contempt. He looks down on them and he prays. And I can imagine him in that temple just lifting his hands up in all of his glory and all of his goodness. And he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thank you for making me such a wonderful person. That I'm not like thieves and rogues and adulterers or even this tax collector over there. Thank you, I am not like them. In all of his goodness, instead of loving his neighbor and having compassion for them and having patience, understanding, he has contempt. He looks down on his brothers and his sisters. And when I'm honest, and that's when I take that time, and when I'm honest, I go, how many times have I done that? It happens frequently. He does what is right, he does what is good, but he has an angry, bitter heart. He is self-righteous. He does the right things in life, but he has the wrong energy, the wrong motivation behind his good actions. The Pharisee is very much like the older brother in the prodigal son. The older son, he stays home, he, he obeys his father, he works on the land, he does everything the father has asked for him to do, but his heart and his energy is all wrong. When his brother comes home, he can't join that celebration and that party because he has so much anger and resentment in his heart. For years, he's been doing the right thing for the wrong reason. He thinks he deserves everything. And his father even says, everything I have is yours. Come to the party and he won't go. He doesn't have any gratitude or appreciation. His father has given him everything that belongs to him. And he's still bitter. The Pharisee is in in the temple and he's bragging about fasting two times a week and it's good to fast. But as Father Rollheiser says, fasting, as Jesus prescribes it, also includes fasting from bitterness, fasting from cynicism, and fasting from self-righteousness. How often do we just fall into that self-righteous mentality? I'm just a little better. A mellow heart, a humble heart, is just as essential to our spiritual well-being as prayer, and as doing justice. It's often very neglected. Often very neglected. And it's a challenge for us to keep a very warm and a mellow heart. Father Roheiser says, What good is it to have a trim body, free of fat and toxins, but we're still full of anger and unhappiness? What good is it to be praying and to do justice and to be giving? but we end up just as self-righteous and just as indignant as the Pharisee. And we're just as bitter as the older brother and the prodigal son. What good is it for us to advocate for, for children and for immigrants and the poor, but to have contempt for those who disagree with us and don't share our opinion? And we frown upon them or we look down upon them. We as liberals and as conservatives. We rationalize our causes, our rightness so much that we justify our anger and our violence towards those who disagree with us. I am right. You're wrong. And we have disdain for those who disagree. Liberals and conservatives alike quite often join the Pharisee in prayer. Thank you, God, that I am not like them. They can't see the light. They don't know what's going on. Thank you, God, that I am not like them. I am woke. I like that word. I am woke. I am enlightened. I am aware of privilege and racism. And they are not. Thank you, God, that I am not like them. And we raise ourselves up and we look down upon half of creation. Thank you, God, that I am not like them. But the tax collector would not even lift his head up. He beats his breast and he says, God, be merciful on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. And the tax collector has a mellow and compassionate heart. And Jesus says yesterday and today, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Well, how humble are we? As we stand for different issues, left or right, how humble are we? It's a challenge for all of us to keep that warm heart and to keep that humility. And I don't even think it's so much, I think we can nurture it, but more often than not, it's kind of just done to us. <laughs> that, that humility. It's just done to us. And Father Roheiser talks about the time he went to a, a worldwide church conference on poverty with all these people from around the globe and how they were addressing justice and, and addressing the needs of poverty around the world. And for a week, Participants discussed poverty and things the church is doing, the things that the church could do. And he said there was this one young nun that he was so impressed with, and she was from Asia. And she was much in the mode of Mother Teresa. And she wore a a traditional habit. She had a very deep life of prayer every day. She spent time just in that deep, deep prayer. She went to Mass every day. She, she took vows of poverty. She slept on a straw mattress every night with all of her sisters. She only had two sets of clothing. That's all she owned. And she fasted on a regular basis. And she worked full time with the poor. Mainly with political prisoners. She was the model of spirituality. Her piety, her prayer life, her work for justice... All these things made that Pharisee look pretty small. She just reeked with goodness. In the very last afternoon, they talked, uh, they talked for a whole week just about poverty and what, and what we could do. In the last week, they did a lot of work. The, the leader says and they were in Europe somewhere. He said, let's just take the afternoon off and enjoy the city. And they all jumped on a bus, and after talking about poverty for a whole week and what they need to do, they went shopping. <laughs> they went shopping. They enjoyed the sights. They, they had good wine and, and beer all afternoon long, just celebrating. And this nun said nothing all afternoon, but she went with them. She didn't say anything, though. And that night, the bus pulled up, and they went into this fine restaurant And they had excessive amounts of food and drink and people were laughing and carrying on and just enjoying each other's company. And finally this nun, she literally became nauseated. And she couldn't take it anymore. And she left and she went and sat on the bus. And she was angry. She was resentful. She was bitter. And she said, this is an insult to the poor. How could we have this conference and talk about helping the poor all week long? And then this afternoon, what could we have done with all this money we spent? And she was sick to her stomach. And she was angry. And she was mad at all of her brothers and sisters in that restaurant, enjoying that meal and all the wine and the beer they were drinking. This is an insult to the poor, she said. And she sat on that bus and she sulked. And she was bitter. And then she asked herself Would Jesus be in that fine restaurant eating and drinking and having a good time? That's a good question for us to ask. (laughs) Would Jesus be in there eating and drinking and having a good time? And she thought and she prayed. And then she said, I had this horrible realization that he would be. He would be. And then she realized John the Baptist would be in the bus with me. <laughs> and we would be ranting and raving, enjoying some of the grasshoppers he ate. <laughs> but Jesus would be in there celebrating life, celebrating the beauty. And that takes humbleness of heart to realize that. And I don't know about you, but I struggle with this all the time. How do we use our time? How do we use our resources? And I'm with her. Jesus would have been there. You say, always, I read this so many times if Christianity is anything, it must be joy. We are loved. And part of that humility is recognizing that, yes, we can make a difference, but we're not going to solve all the world's problems. We can make a difference, but we're not going to resolve everything. And that takes humbleness of heart to acknowledge. We can do the right things, and we always need to check our motivation, our energy behind what we do. And so my prayer for all of us today... That we may continue to develop our prayer lives, that we may do justice, and that we may have mellowness of heart, and that we can enjoy the goodness that God shares with us.